Hello, and welcome to 7-Minute Opinions, your audio guide to thought-provoking arguments from a variety of the week's writers and thinkers. I'm Noah Millman, and today I'd like to look to America's northern neighbor for a lesson on multiculturalism. A favorite pastime of some Americans is grumbling about the current state of affairs and then threatening to move to Canada. Talk like this happens every four years. Canada's like America's safety school. And no, more Americans did not move to Canada after Trump's election. But Canada deserves to be examined as more than just a liberal fantasy object. After all, it's a real place. It has its own history, culture, and way of doing things. It also has a strong, if peculiar, nationalism all its own. Canada is one of the most diverse countries in the world, with nearly twice the percentage of foreign-born residents as the United States. But take a closer look with me, and you'll find that Canada's multiculturalism is harder for Americans to copy than our own liberals might wish. In 2017, Canada celebrates its 150th birthday. But 1867 is not the decisive moment in Canadian history that 1776 was for America. The British North America Act of 1867 reorganized British possessions. It divided what was previously the colony of Canada into two provinces, French-speaking Quebec and English-speaking Ontario. These provinces were united in confederation with the formerly separate colonies of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. It wasn't until the Statute of Westminster in 1931 that Canada gained true legislative autonomy. And remarkably, it wasn't until 1982 that Canada asserted full control over its own constitution. In other words, Canada doesn't have a single founding moment like America's. It doesn't have to live up to a historic moment of extraordinary self-assertion. Instead, Canada has become itself over time, slowly accumulating its own experience and its own authority. So perhaps it's unsurprising that Canada has proved relatively accepting of continuing that evolutionary process. America and Canada are similar in that both were founded as unions of disparate parts, and both have deep fault lines running through their countries that have at times threatened to tear them apart. But the nature of those fault lines are radically different, with very different historical consequences. America was divided from the first between slave states and free. This division and each section's ambitions for expansion resulted, of course, in civil war. But it was the war's end that gave the country a far more unitary conception of the American Constitution than most of the founders had contemplated. With that came a national identity that continues to be contested over questions that ultimately trace back to race. On the other hand, Canada was divided primarily by language. For much of its history, this meant the dominance of English-speaking Canada. But Quebec preserved a distinct society that, as Canada became more and more able to decide matters for itself, was increasingly inclined to assert itself and demand special protections. As a result of this history, Canada has a far more decentralized system of government than America does, and Quebec has the kind of distinct powers that the most strident proponents of states' rights would have approved of. But because these powers are deployed in defense of linguistic difference rather than chattel slavery, they don't suffer from the moral taint that they do in the American context. It was this biculturalism that laid the groundwork for Canada's truly multicultural society, something America has historically resisted, instead preferring a model of integration by assimilation. In Francophone Canada, immigrant groups have a model of how to remain distinct while integrating into the existing political structure. 
Canada has a multifarious collection of immigrant communities, and the politics of Canada's most diverse provinces and cities resemble those of highly diverse American cities like New York or Los Angeles, where the general interest emerges from competition among factions, none of whom are large enough to become exclusively dominant. But the biggest difference between Canada and America is that America has no America to shelter behind, or to define itself against, for that matter. Since the early days of Canadian sovereignty, the nation's identity has substantially consisted of being not American. But as a much smaller and weaker country, Canada has had no choice but to accommodate itself to America's needs. With such a large disparity in power, a true rivalry wasn't even possible. Admirers of Canada's embrace of diversity are probably underrating the importance of Canada's isolation to the relative success of its multicultural project. Like America, Canada is bordered by oceans on two sides, three if you count the Arctic. But America borders Mexico to the south, while Canada borders America. America's problem of undocumented immigration is largely the consequence of two things, past population growth in Mexico, and economic development that made travel to America more plausible, but didn't raise incomes quickly enough to encourage more Mexicans to make their fortunes at home. Canada has the luxury of being able to readily control who comes into their country, and they have taken that opportunity to be quite selective about whom they choose to admit. In spite of the fact that Canada admits far more immigrants per capita than America, American immigration restrictionists often point to Canada as an exemplar of a rational immigration policy that puts the interests of citizens first. But let me ask you this. Would Canada have been able to be simultaneously so selective and so liberal if they had to confront large-scale undocumented migration from a single country? I'm not so sure. Canada may seem insulated from the effects of the global populist-nationalist wave for the moment, but that has more to do with the idiosyncrasies of its history and geography than with any lessons that can be easily applied by Americans upset at President Trump. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Opinions. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, theweek.com, or wherever you listen. And as a thank you for listening to this episode, we'd like to offer you four risk-free issues of The Week magazine. To get started, visit theweek.com slash for free. I'm Noah Millman, and thanks so much for listening. 